You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What's up, everybody? Happy hour edition, I guess, for some of the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast coming at you a little earlier than usual, doing some schedule tiptoeing, schedule dancing. Uh, hey, it's the off season right now. Um, we're in between OTAs, training camp, and we're kind of just playing with some things and trying to be a little bit flexible, but we'll, we'll nail some things down as the regular season goes. I promise you, I promise you, I am Anthony Cazenza, and I am here with the man, the myth, the legend, John Sheeran. Fresh off of uh, a some some great articles at A to Z Sports and an appearance, uh, upcoming appearance on Locked On Bengals, I believe, right? So uh, a man of many talents, and it shows. John, how are you this week, my friend? It's d- doing well, man. You know we're we're in no man's land on a thirsty Thursday, helping out lesser known Bengals podcast. You know, trying to get them off the ground <laughs> a little bit. But so happy to be here, man. It's funny because uh, you know. Th- We've made these these kind of jokes before because we love we love Jake and James and they've been kind very kind to us on this show and um, obviously their show is awesome um, and some people don't know and they're like are you guys hating on them and we're like dude no <laughs> no we love those guys their show's awesome um, but uh, yeah good to good to be with all of you this week we've got some things on tap for you some uh, some new things I guess a little bit we're gonna go over some headlines a little bit as we kind of usually do and kind of give our take on those but. We've been doing the potential breakout players, and when we've done those, we've kind of said, hey, you know, this is kind of the year, and this is why. We've, we're doing a different spin on it. We'll, we'll surprise you with that a little bit later, and then we're going to do a little bit of a look back at some Bengals history. Some, uh, some people may not know some of the names we'll mention and talk about later in the show. Some people may remember that, and they'll probably correct me on some things because, I don't know, we got some smart people out there, smart people that listen to the show. We will see, but good to be with everybody on this Thursday evening. Thanks for jumping on live. Thanks for listening after the fact. And of course, if you are new here, welcome. You can subscribe. Uh, I always I always get confused, John. I, I, I think it, the show icon is above you. Yeah, um, right. But yeah, it's above you. But I've also seen on like the, the YouTube app and stuff that you can click it at the bottom of the screen. So find the show icon, wherever it is. If it's on your YouTube app, if you're on YouTube.com, whatever the, the, the case may be, find the, the show icon, click that. 
click subscribe, click the bell to be notified when we go live, when new content is available. We'll be bringing you all kinds of fun stuff this summer and throughout preseason training camp, et cetera. And of course you got to subscribe to the Cincy jungle podcast channel with our show, Bengal Jim and friends talking football, uh, coach Matt Minnick doing his thing. And of course, three and out with Jason and Kevin. Um, and that is also, you can watch that on our orange and black insider channel for the time being as well. So check out all that stuff. We appreciate the support and all of the, um, Fun, fun times, fun comments that we've shared with you all for a long, long time. Let's get it started, John. Where do, where do we want to start here? There's a couple of headlines that I've grabbed. Um, you know, let's just, why not? Let's start with Joe Burrow, of course. Why, why would we start with any anybody else? Apparently, and I will share uh, an article that's up on Cincy Jungle for it. Apparently now there is a report, Jeremy Fowler, a guy who has a pretty good pulse on the, you know, the AFC North. He, he covers the Steelers quite closely and covers the division quite closely. Um, there is now a, uh, you know, a, a report by him. I think it was on a, an NFL Network show saying that Joe Burrow could wait to see what Justin Herbert gets before signing his extension with the Bengals. And that would be in an effort potentially to, uh, you know, maximize the deal, maximize the dollars, maximize everything that would go with that. And so with, with, you know, kind of some of the dominoes falling around the league, Burrow may be looking around to some other, uh, you know, some other quarterbacks, namely Justin Herbert and, you know, see where that's, where that's going to go before he signs anything. This is probably how it should go. Like, I think at the beginning of the year, we knew that Hertz was up for an extension. The whole Lamar Jackson thing, no one really knew how that was going to end, but I think the result falls in line with probably probably what convention states. And then that was going to leave Herbert and Burrow, who I, I think if you were to rank quarterbacks, they at least are probably in the same tier. I think there's probably a, a better argument for Burrow to be ahead of Herbert at this point, but they're like right around there. And I think they, they both probably clear both Lamar and Hertz, but that's not always how it goes, right? It's, it's all about timing. And with Hertz, like the Eagles got to him pretty early in the off season. They gave him a deal that I think exceeded what Aaron Rodgers got. Lamar Jackson said, Hey, I've been trying to do this for a year. Let me just borrow the layout of this deal and just copy and paste it, but add a little bit more on so I can get my deal with the Ravens done. Burrow and Herbert are now essentially in a stalemate there is it's like it's like world world war one right they're like on both sides of debt of no man's land and it's all like who's gonna move first and whoever moves first ends up losing and losing in this case would mean taking one million per year of less than the other guy so i like burrow could sign tomorrow and it'll be the highest paid he'll be the highest paid player in the nfl history and then herbert can sign the next day and he'll be just barely more <laughs> expensive and he'll be the highest paid player but it makes sense why Burrow, considering he has probably more, he has more accolades, he has more postseason success, he has more notoriety, and I think he's got the argument for just being the better quarterback right now. It makes sense for him and his representation to wait until the day after Herbert signs, whatever that may, may be. I'm pretty sure he's going to sign an extension. The Chargers would just, would be stupid if they didn't sign him now because it'll just be more expensive next year. So I think that's probably going to be the plan, anyways. But these. Like both of these deals could happen like almost simultaneously. It's just a matter of who signs first. The quote here is talking to other teams. I think Burrow could wait on Herbert in LA. Like if Herbert can get a deal done first, Burrow can just say, okay, well, that's the benchmark. Give me a little bit more than that. And we'll all 
be happy. We mentioned, you know, the Lamar Jackson extension. We mentioned the Jalen Hurts extension. Um, and, you know, a, a number of other, you know, you could look back. I think Kyler Murray's was last offseason. And so, there, I mean, there's a number of them that you you can look at. And I'm, I think, you know, we've discussed this before, John. We don't need to belabor all of this stuff. But I, I we've discussed this before that we think that at least some of the, I don't know, the tent poles, the benchmarks, the framework, whatever you want to call it, um, there's a ballpark idea of what the two sides want. They've probably been talking about it. And this may be just another one of those things. I keep using that analogy of dominoes falling. This just may be one of those other dominoes that, that needs to fall before all of the Bengals contract dominoes fall. If that, <laughs> if that makes sense, what I'm saying. So I, you know, again, I, I could see the logic to it. Um, I, I still, you know, I think this isn't panic mode. I think we should all still be, you know, pretty confident this is all going to get done. And, and uh, probably this summer, I, you know, one would think, but uh, you know, I, the, the worry I think that comes from this would be, you know, does, is Herbert playing like you kind of, like what you said, is Herbert playing the same game where, you know, now he's going to, well, I'm, I'm going to wait for Burrow now and I'm going to, you know what I mean? And so, that could delay some things. And I think everybody's just kind of ready to get this thing going so that other, you know, not only to lock your quarterback up, so, but other deals can be done uh, once you have that all, the numbers all worked out there. Yeah. I think because there, there's been the argument about like a hometown discount, I think what may happen is that Burrow doesn't take less than what he's worth, but maybe when training camp begins or we're in that period where the Bengals normally agree to these extensions, right? It's either like late July or just any time in August. If this thing, I don't want to say drags on, but if training camp and the preseason kind of progress and it's getting closer and closer to the regular season and Herbert hasn't signed and Burrow hasn't signed, we may reach a point where Burrow's just like, you know what? There's a, there's the largest contract ever in NFL history on the table it, it works for me. If, it, if this is a matter of just waiting for Herbert, he might just be like, I just want to sign this so we can get this over with. And then we can start and finalize things with Higgins and Wilson. If that's also on the table, that may be where Burrow kind of puts his foot down. I'm, I don't think it's going to be in the form of taking a hometown discount, but if things again, like quote unquote drag on to the point where it's getting really close to that regular season beginning deadline, that may be where Burrow kind of, I guess concedes or just says like, you know what? Enough is enough. Let's just take this deal. Well, we're going to play a little game, I think with the next headline. Um, and I guess we can kind of say we had that old, believe it or not. Uh, I think a graphic, we could put that up there, but there now as Orlando Brown jr. Um, you know, kind of continues to talk about his experience in free agency coming to the Bengals and the expectations of him. One of the things he's been talking about is why he thinks he will be even an even better player or perform better in the Bengals offense and with Joe Burrow as his quarterback. And that is namely in the depth of drop and, you know, a little bit while both kind of play can play a bit of a backyard style of football, as you like to call it, where they kind of run around and ad lib when things break down. Um, Mahomes seems to do that a bit more and Burrow quite often um, is a guy that gets the ball out pretty fast, uh, really fast, uh, as a matter of fact. And so now Orlando Brown believes that this will help, you know, limit the pressures, limit, really limit the amount of time that he has to block for uh, as opposed to Kansas City. And that's kind of his argument, more or less. We'll pull up the article with it. But more or less, his, his argument is that, you know, I, I don't have to block as long in the depth of where Burrow is dropping back as opposed to where Mahomes drops back is going to benefit me as a left tackle and thus the entire offense. 
it was legitimately good analysis, which is rare for players nowadays. Even when they appear on shows like NFL Live and and Sports Center, whatever, it was it was great listening to Orlando talk about those things. And of course, when the slightest even resemblance of criticism for Patrick Mahomes surfaced, Chiefs fans kind of ran with it. And it's almost like at this point, whenever you talk about Patrick Mahomes, you have to lead with he's the greatest quarterback in the NFL right now. He's the best quarterback I've ever seen with my own two eyes, but. Sometimes he drifts in the pocket. Sometimes, hey, like I think it was Andrew Russell of PFF who pointed this out. Since 2000, which is when Burrow entered the league, Mahomes has like three times the amount of dropbacks that go nine plus yards compared to Burrow. So there is a legitimate, notable difference when you watch both of them play and when you look at the box scores as well. There are times when Mahomes takes deep dropbacks. And the thing that makes him great is that despite that, he can still create positive plays more consistently than practically any other quarterback but it's harder for your left tackle, especially if your left tackle is one who struggles against speed. And when your quarterback takes these deep drops and just basically extends the pocket backwards, it's easier for edge rushers to kind of just bend around the edge because you're not having to turn the corner that sharply. So you can just take off and just put your left tackle in a bind because then he has to play out more in space. His vertical sets become more wider, more deeper. And that's kind of troubling sometimes for a 6'8", 360-pound left tackle whose speed in his kick slide isn't necessarily his strength. So going from that to Burrow, yes, there is a significant difference, albeit there are times when Burrow does the same thing, but not even remotely at the same level of frequency. So it, it will be a, an easier transition, I think, for, for Orlando Brown. And it's different. It's not necessarily Mahomes is better or worse than Burrow in this case. It, it's just a different experience. And his production in terms of pass production protection, it might end up being better because of it. The quote, it'll be very different for me personally. A lot of these drops by Patrick Mahomes right here in the Super Bowl were similar to kind of what I'm going to see in Cincinnati, but so many different concepts that we run in Cincinnati compared to Kansas City from a passing standpoint with the receivers. It's going to be a lot more firm. It's going to be a lot more quicker. I'll be able to uh, be a lot more aggressive in certain situations, just given the personnel and the way that they call plays. He didn't when when and again, shameless self-promotion time, when he joined us a couple of months ago, he didn't really talk about this specifically, but there are some elements you could see what why this offense, why he was drawn to this offense, even though this this team really wasn't on his radar going into free agency because you know, I think everybody thought they were gonna be settled at left tackle and you know, this opportunity presented itself. But he talked about this and he also, I mean, if you go back and listen to the interview, John, he he's made a comment about Look, you know, I, I I understand. I mean, he he's talked about how he's had a lot of great performances, Pro Bowls, all of that. He's been a Pro Bowl player, uh, I think, on both sides of the line, right? Right tackle and left tackle. So he's got the nod there. But he also said, you know, I, I, I do acknowledge some of my shortcomings. I, I mean, I think you and I sit here and go, I mean, there's not many of those. But, <laughs> I mean, he, he, he point blank said in our in our chat with him is like, hey, I, I acknowledge some of our um, some of my shortcomings and I'm working on it. But to your point, yeah, he may be one of those guys simply because of his sheer size that he does struggle maybe with the quicker pass rush type of type of guys, the smaller guys. Um, but a lot of times he does have still have success just because even if he kind of gets beat from that speed element, he's so big and so long that he can recover. Well, if you remember, there was a guy, John, when Andrew Whitworth was amazing, obviously, for the Bengals, but one guy that just seemed to give him fits, whether it was on the Broncos or the Ravens, I think it was Elvis Doomerville. Yeah. Doomerville was, what, 6'1", 6'2"? I mean, if that, and he was just a short, and he was real fast. Um, I don't really recall about Freeney kind of being that, uh, you know, giving him a similar 
situation. Freeney um, had the spin, Matt, you know. Or Mathis. Yeah, I can't really remember if those guys, you know, gave gave Whitworth the run for his money. But Whitworth was so solid. But anytime he went up against Doomerville, it was like, man, that guy just he, – he he uses that speed and that, that shorter stature to kind of get around him. But similar to that, because Whitworth is a huge guy like Orlando Brown. Orlando Brown, even if he kind of gets – maybe beat from a speedier guy. He has that immense size and he's been able to kind of mask some of those maybe quote unquote poor snaps or any, or, or getting beat like that um, a little bit more regularly. I also want to make, <laughs> this is going to sound weird, but I want to make a Madden analogy and this is going to sound again, okay. very amateur, but when, when you're playing Madden as a, as a quarterback, um, a lot of people have the propensity to kind of abandon the pocket, whether that's to the right or kind of going backwards. When Mahomes sometimes go, kind of goes off script it might just be like a three or five step drop which is pretty standard and the, the the tackle will take a certain step to kind of compensate for how deep his quarterback is going at the top of his drop right like the tackle is expected to be at a certain landmark to establish some type of a half man relationship and to make sure that his leverage essentially he's, his butt is facing the quarterback if the quarterback then drifts further back which is sometimes what Mahomes does the tackle doesn't see that, but the pass rusher does. So if the, if the pass rusher, in this case, the right end, is noticing that the quarterback is going off of the top of his drop and putting himself in a compromising position, then the tackle is at the mercy of the edge because the edge can see all this happening, and then he can go further to the outside. Right. And that's honestly where a lot of Orlando Brown's pressures came from. It wasn't necessarily bad pass protection in the first two seconds of the rep. It was Mahomes kind of doing Mahomes things, which, again, is not inherently a bad thing, but it does put your tackles in compromising situations. This is why both Orlando Brown and Andrew Wiley, the left and right tackle of the Chiefs last year, led the NFL in a lot of pressures, but they weren't necessarily bad pass protectors. They just happened to be charged with these pressures because sometimes Mahomes does Mahomes things. And Joe Burrow doesn't do that as much. He has more of a propensity to remain in the pocket when it's clean. He doesn't have, like, I don't know, the, the itch to kind of escape out there when he doesn't necessarily have to. Now, we've seen him do that. We've seen him create off script, but that's usually because of pressure that's forming in his face, and he has to do that. So the, the you know, the, the, the fewer times that that happens, I think will also benefit Orlando Brown because it's not just those long dropbacks. Sometimes just Mahomes kind of ad-libbing. It's a good point. I know. I, I think this would be pre-PFF era, but I would be interested to see kind of the you know, the metrics and the the data behind some of the, the Steelers tackles when they were forced to block for, for you know, Ben and his prime, big Ben in his prime in the mid 2000s, late 2000s, and how he would, you know, dance around and move around and, and move all over the place and somehow find a guy, you know, wandering downfield for a big play. Seemed like he used to do that on the regular. So I wonder how many pressures and whatnot would be <laughs> accumulated to his tackles during that time, but uh, pre PFF era. And I don't know, just reminiscing about, 20 years ago, I don't know, 15 years ago, 20 years ago with Big Ben. Uh, I don't know where he came into the conversation, but that's where my mind went. And that's what I'm talking about at the moment. Let's move on, though. Um, I, you know, I don't know if you saw this. There was a tweet out there. We don't have to spend a ton of time on this, but Willie Anderson, great uh, Bengals, great right tackle. I kind of put something out there saying that, you know, it was a little surprising and a little uh, bittersweet um, that he said a lot of former Bengals players. I'll try and find the tweet here. A lot of former Bengals players don't really know about the changes or don't really know about a lot of the positive things that have been coming out of the team over the last handful of years with, you know, Zach Taylor and the Blackburns, et cetera. And he has kind of been a little bit of a mouthpiece to 
uh, you know, spread the word amongst his old teammates amongst, you know, whether that's, you know, guys in the nineties or in the, in the Marvin Lewis era, he's been kind of spreading the word. It seems about, Hey, you know, you probably want to come around this, the organization, the buildings and all of what they're doing here, not only just because they've been successful the last couple of years, but coinciding with that success is the ring of honor really embracing, you know, former players, current players, all that kind of stuff. And it sounds like he's kind of been a, a, a megaphone for that a bit. Yeah. I mean, he fits in line with that era of players that I don't want to say you're disenfranchised, but they're probably disconnected from the team just because of the state of the franchise back when when he kind of first started playing. But I mean, he was so good that he's so revered amongst fans and obviously the organization. They put his name up next to Kane Anderson and the other greats of of the franchise. So I'm sure there are a lot of players who played back in the day that you know are there at that point in their lives where they just they don't really keep in touch. And I don't think the Bengals do probably a great job of making sure that they you know, keep in touch with all of their former players. I think it was one of the reasons why, you know, Willie Anderson, and a lot of other players kind of took issue with the fact that there wasn't like a ring of honor in the first place. So it's baby steps with, with this, with this front office and this organization to kind of keep giving back to its alumni and its players. And obviously the ring of honor was a great start, but it, it, it would be nice to see some of the, some of the other older players who aren't as revered in franchise history, kind of get a sense of what's going on here right now. Yeah. I mean, there's, all kinds of stuff that, you know, I've been trying to meet about the Bengals, about being an ambassador and all kinds of, uh, you got to follow him on Twitter at big Willie seven, one, seven, nine came out the past couple of days, but uh, he's, he's kind of, you know, as he said, he's kind of talking to former players about, you know, the things that the Bengals are doing and Hey, you probably want to be around this and they'll, they'll finally put their arms around you or however, <laughs> you know, however he's wording it. Um, the, the final thing here, and this will be a, a good segue into the next uh, the next segment we'll talk about, which, uh, you know, revolving around breakout players and all that kind of stuff. That is that Drew Sample um, has been reportedly cleared from his ACL injury, played in two games last year, John. Um, a guy that, you know, I think a lot of us thought was maybe not going to be back. And the Bengals kind of not only re-signed him, but they didn't go overly heavy at the position group maybe showing that they've got some plans for this guy this year, but uh, good to see that he is coming back from the ACL injury cleared from it. So he probably, I mean, depending on what that clearance actually means, um, you know, he could, it could start slow. Um, maybe he's, you know, put on a, a pup list to start training camp or something comes off at that sort of thing. But it would seem as if he's probably a guy at this point, if he's cleared from that injury, particularly since it was early, in the season last year was suffered early in the season. He's probably going to be a guy that is going to be around um, come, you know, definitely preseason and, and probably into the regular season. Yeah. So I think it was Jeff Hobson who initially reported that he was cleared for mini camp or, or voluntary uh, camp back a couple weeks ago. And it wasn't uh, expected him to be cleared until at the earliest training camp, which I mean, that's a 10 and a half, almost 11 month recovery for an ACL, which I mean, back in the day, it was pretty normal, but, you know, we're, we're hearing guys come back like eight or nine months. So it was probably a pretty serious ACL injury, considering, you know, where modern medicine is now with the recovery in that sense. So, yeah, if you go back to April, that's like, what, five or six months after the injury, the Bengals at the at the time were, were thought to address the tight end position in the draft and they signed sample to a vet minimum deal when he was still months away from actually practicing with the team. So, I don't think his resigning, especially considering the magnitude of the, of, of the deal, 
was any indication of what their plans were in the draft. It just ended up being, you know, they were interested and just there wasn't a tight end that kind of fell to them at the spot they were comfortable with. So all of a sudden, Drew Sample's tight end number two again, which has been the case for five years now. So it, it's really it's really nice that he's going to be participating in training camp in the preseason. I would I would assume that he's it, like if, if he was cleared in mini camp, I'm assuming that he'll be good to go for training camp. Maybe, maybe right though. Maybe they just put him on the pup for just a little bit, just because they can, and there's no consequences to that. But I mean, they need him because other than him, it's Devin Asiasi, and honestly, three guys that I can't think of their names of right now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Uh, we'll get to um, the a little bit more on Drew Sample in just a second here. We did get a super chat. And by the way, a Ooh. membership badge for Mr. Whisper. Thank you for that. We're still collecting money, by the way, for Orlando Brown Jr.'s um, charitable endeavor with Junior uh, Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation. We've got... We're about halfway to our goal um, with donations that have gone directly to the GoFundMe, plus um, some of the super chat donations that we've received, both from the time that he spent with us uh, with the interview, as well as when we kind of re-engage this. So um, we're going to try and hopefully get him back on before training camp if possible, and then hopefully we can meet that and exceed that goal that we've set up uh, for you. That, But Mr. Whisper, that will go to that. We appreciate you. Uh, just kind of saying, hey, boys, been out a minute, but my attention on the OL is at left guard rather than Orlando. What should our – where should we keep our ex- expectations for him one year in? I'm assuming we're talking about Cordell Volson. I'm hearing some say he'll improve and others say not. Um, we talked about this, Mr. Whisper, a couple episodes ago when we did the potential breakout players. Um, we're going to do a standalone video on that as well on YouTube. And not to not to say I don't want to answer your question, but – we did go over Cordell Volson quite a bit uh, a couple of episodes ago, but I mean, the, the short, the short of it, John is really, I mean, experience he's bulked up. It, it would seem in a, in a good way. And, you know, as we mentioned, I think it was Ted Karras who said, uh, you know, we're light years ahead of where we were last year as an offensive line unit in terms of gelling and everything. So Volson's part of that. Um, and things are looking pretty good. I mean, I, that's probably the biggest thing for Volson. Like, I mean, the literal biggest thing might just be because he's a tank now, which definitely helps because he wasn't, he, he definitely wasn't the most athletic offensive lineman coming into the NFL last year in that draft. And if he was, he probably would have been drafted a little bit earlier. So if you're not going to be, you know, this quick guy to get out of your stance and whatnot, you might as well just be a tank in a phone booth, which is what the Bengals probably expect of him now. If he's close, I think Ted Karras said he's about 330 pounds. And just looking at a picture of him taking BP at Red's uh, batting practice, like a lot of that's muscle. So he looks to be 
not to, not to throw out this cliche, but he looks to be in the best shape of his life, which is expected considering he was at North Dakota State two years ago. And now he's with an NFL team and a strength and conditioning program. So he definitely has the 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 physical part down. And I think the fact that he's now in an offseason where he's the established starter instead of being drafted, being in this competition against the guy who you know wasn't serious at the time in Jackson Carmen. And the team does seem to have a ton of confidence with him just holding down that spot and making that jump. And I think it's more likely that he makes a, a not a sizable, but like a, a minor jump in terms of quality production, in terms of being a quality starter, and instead of just regressing back. Because there's nothing really that points to that regression happening, considering, again, he wasn't lighting the world on fire at left guard last year. A lot of his problems had to do with maybe play strength and technique. And I think both of those things can improve uh, this year going forward. Well, thank you, Mr. Whisper, for the membership. By the way, if you like what we do, yeah, what we do, yes, we do have memberships on our YouTube channel, and yes, there are perks to that. So uh, please feel free to do that. Thank you for the the super chat donation as well. That's going to go to Orlando Brown Jr.'s Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation um, endeavor that he is engaging in the greater Cincinnati area. So we will get that over to them. We appreciate that, and we're going to share the link on that a little bit later in the show if you want to continue to show some generosity to him and to that. We would appreciate it. I know he appreciates that as well. Well, we talked Drew Sample just a minute ago, John, and that's kind of where my mind, uh, one of the places my mind went this week. Um, For those who are new here, we do, you know, in this, around this time of the year and sometimes into training camp, we use some of the buzz from, from OTAs training camp and in between on some players to kind of say, Hey, this is a potential breakout guy and breakout is of course, is a subjective term, which, you know, we could say, okay, this person's really taking the next step and being a pro bowler, or this person was a backup and is now a starter or heavy rotator, um, or, you know, just a rotational guy that has been lingering on the backside of the roster type of thing. There's all kinds of different, uh, and we try and explain it, all kinds of different meanings behind that. Well, I did a little something different this week, and we've got two players, and they both share the same last name on the Bengals roster, um, two very different positions. um, But, the samples, Drew Sample and Cam Sample. And it's not so much that I am predicting they are going to break out, John. And it's not that I'm asking the question breakout or bust. I'm saying uh, it's a proclamation. It's either going to be a breakout year or a bust year for Drew Sample and Cam Sample. Now, Drew Sample, I believe it was a one-year contract, you know, kind of a, a minimal investment. Cam Sample was a fourth round pick in 2021. And so here's the thing with both of these guys now um, with the first, who do we want to start with? Do you want to start with Drew? Cause I've got videos for both. Do you want yeah. to start with Drew? Okay. Let's, let's start with Drew. With Drew. Um, so with, with both of them um, you know, there's, there's differing expectations. Sample kind of had a higher profile role in year two than he did in year one. So that uh, we'll talk about that, but um, yeah, I mean, Drew Sample is a guy that we've been waiting to break out and hoping would be breaking out pretty, you know, ever since he joined the team in 2019. Was not a popular pick at the time because people felt it was a bit of a reach, but the Bengals did need some tight end help. Uh, Tyler Eifert was, you know, kind of uh, hurt and all kinds of stuff towards the end of his career there. And so they needed some extra help. And now they've done a lot of different things with Drew Sample. They've, you know, played him in the traditional tight end and right outside the tackle. He's played some H back. He's done a lot of different things here. You can see, John, here are some of the stats, just so we know. 58 receptions, 40 of them were in 2020 alone. The touchdown was in 2020 uh, as well. Don't know why this stopped here. Uh, let's 
try that again. The touchdown was in 2020. The yards, 458, 349 of those was in 2020. And the long reception, just 23 yards. You see the PFF scores ranging from low 50s all the way to low 60s. And that is in chronological order overall PFF scores. Here's the thing with them that that year in 2020, that was, um, you know, CJ Uzama, I think, only played in two games or so that year. So he was actually kind of a little bit of a, an outlet for Joe Burrow as a rookie going forward um, in that in that year. So, you know, a, a guy that when you look at, I don't know why this keeps freezing on me. I apologize. We'll, we'll get to some of the clips here. But um, he's a guy that was, as a, as a receiver, he was a guy that uh, was kind of a, a little bit of an outlet when things broke down. And, you know, or off of play action, just a little, you know, designed tight end flat route. Um, that is kind of where he's he was asked to do some things in the offense. Um, and so what happened is obviously some injuries, obviously some usage issues. And then the Bengals kind of said, well, we can't wait around for this to kind of keep coming to fruition. So they've used these veteran one year deals on guys like Hayden Hurst and Irv Smith. And now he's kind of been down the pecking order a little bit. However, this year, um, they did not, the Bengals did not invest heavily in tight end um, in, in either free agency or the draft. And he was kind of one of the guys. Now, maybe final cuts will bring something different. That's where Devin Asiasi came in last year. But right now, they're showing a bit of, you know, uh, faith in Drew, Drew Sample to do something in this offense, whether it's as an H-back, primary, a, primarily a blocker, maybe a, a passing outlet as well. Um, I'm going to try and queue up that video in just a second here again. But um, that's kind of where things are at with Drew Sample. And it's one of those things where he's kind of at a career crossroads. So the things that Drew has going for him is that traditionally tight end is a second contract position. Like only like the really, really good ones produce their first handful of years in the league. And it's almost like smarter to just not really invest in that position from a draft standpoint and just wait until those guys are on their second contracts. And that's where... I mean, this is technically Drew Sample's second contract. He's 27, I think maybe going to be 28 this year. Maybe he's just 27. So he's in that that tight end prime of of his career, if you will. But, um, I mean, the, the role for him, it, it just seems kind of limited because, I mean, this offense is it's still 11 personnel, and, it, and he's not the starter. It's Irv Smith until something, if something happens to Irv Smith. And that's, like, I guess, another positive because – the, the starter in front of him has a history of injuries, particularly over the past couple of years. And that was the reason why Irv Smith was, could have been had for barely more than what Drew Sample signed for this year. They're spending nothing at tight end for various different reasons. And Irv Smith, if everything goes well, is going to have a productive year at tight end because you know, there's been nothing but praise for his athleticism and his natural uh, catching ability and just, a different kind of tight end compared to Hayden Hurst and CJ Uzama. And they know who Drew Sample is at this point. Like th there wasn't a ton that he showed in 2020 aside from those brief moments that you mentioned where, you know, the offense was kind of a discombobulated mess, but Drew Sample could, was at least a decent option as a checkdown option because he can't really stretch the field that much where he could have his most biggest impact though. Anthony is probably in run blocking. And I think that's another thing that he has going for him because I think there's a bigger emphasis this year for the Bengals offense and trying to get the under center run game working. And that may include more 12 personnel looks and it may include more run blocking reps for Drew Sample along with Irv Smith to kind of 
and get the run game kind of going because once that happens that opens up more opportunities for explosive plays down the field if you can diversify your offense to the point where defenses can't key in on if it's a run or a pass based off of where if you're other center into the shotgun that just makes your offense better and it would be nice to have two tight ends who can be on the field at all times and can be competent in that sense and if that is drew sample that's great and then they can go forward and see what they want to do with him next year but so far obviously not i mean this is you know kind of belabor the point with him he was never really worth that second round pick but you know in the brief moments that he's had the chance to you know create some yards after the catch and just be a decent blocker he's been that and especially for an offense that again had a lot of pass protection issues he's also done some work in that area so he's he's a nice guy to, to have around i don't know if they really expected him to be a significant a significant contributor but with the way that the offseason kind of ended up that's kind of the role that he has right now yeah you can see a lot of flat stuff a lot of short stuff here um this is probably the best five yard reception i've ever seen just right out of the flat uh the nice <laughs> one hander there um uh, against the cleveland browns here it is in slow-mo again for folks uh i mean check this out this is pretty sweet um so see the nice extension there here's a couple of things with him blocking i think i've slowed a couple of these down here he is um, pushing, uh, I believe it's Micah Parsons out of the, out of the way there. It's not a big gain, but pushes him out of the way. Here he is on the, I believe he's on the far outs or maybe inside right next to Jonah. Um, yeah, he's inside. Um, that's Hurst getting beat on the outside. So he's inside and he holds his own against number six there against the Cowboys. And that's a, a play for Mixon. That's, a, I guess, pass pro or a little swing pass here. And watch this block to spring. This is week one of last year. Boom. Nice block in the hole, and that's a 35, 37-yard uh, run or so from Mixon against the Steelers in week one. you got to love that, um, that he springs springs that play from the hole there. So, I mean, obviously we kind of cherry-pick some of the nice the nice plays and, and everything from Drew Sample um, and a lot of these guys when we do these these videos. But, I mean, that's kind of the reality of it. I mean, we, we kind of try and highlight some of the things that they do well and why they may br break out. Um, so I apologize for the delay on, on that video there, but I mean, you kind of see some of the things and where, where I see him be his best as a pass catcher is when Burroughs, it, it's kind of, I, I hate to say it, it's either kind of a last resort option when things are breaking down and other guys aren't open. He's just kind of drops the ball to him and they get a couple of nice yards out of it, or it's designed kind of, uh, you know, bootleg play action, throw it, throw it again, backside on the play where he can kind of scramble and, and use blocks that are set up for him. So a guy that, again, I, I I don't know what to expect because there were some nice moments in 2020, even with Joe Burrow getting hurt. Some of the stats, you know, are, are there, but that's also when C.J. Uzama got hurt, and there's only one touchdown to speak of in his entire career here. So I, I think if he's able to, to provide a boost in the blocking game, both pass protection and run blocking, and then be that occasional outlet when things kind of break down as an additional pass-catching option, you know, I think you take that, particularly as the contract uh, with the contract that he currently signed. Yeah, anything that he can provide that's even slightly more than what he's been in recent years is a surplus, considering the fact that they just don't have a ton of depth. I, I know someone mentioned in the comments like their third tight end probably isn't on the roster right now. I think that's the that's the position we're going to circle at final cuts when they're you know kind of observing the waiver wire, and of course they're like 29th or whatever in the order this year, so. They might have slim pickings, but they were 31st last year, and they ended up getting Devin Asiasi, who I think it was like a third-round pick. So at the time, it was like, oh, okay, this guy's a notable player. And obviously, you know, Asiasi is essentially just a, a different version of, of true sample, more or less the same skill set. So it, it's, it's not a ton of 
depth at that spot. And there might be a tight end that kind of challenges Drew Sample to his role. And maybe that just only accelerates the the boomer bust uh, potential year that he has this year. Yeah, I mean, Irv Smith would have been the low-hanging fruit a little bit to to go with the potential breakout. I think, you know, as the starting guy, we have high expectations there. But as you said, the health is kind of a factor. Let's move on to Cam Sample. And this is a guy, John, that, uh, you know, showed some promise early and now is in kind of a little bit of a roster fight with Miles Murphy coming over. You got Terrell Basham coming over. Uh, you have you still have Jeffrey Gunter who flashed a little bit last year, and then of course you've got Joseph Osai. So you've got a crowded, crowded room. Uh, Cam Sample's a guy that's kicked inside a little bit sometimes. He's played outside. He's had some nice moments, but not overly consistent, not overly flashy. You see, thirty-nine tackles in two seasons, twenty-five of them last year, and those are total tackles. Three and a half sacks in two seasons, two last year, five total tackles for loss, four last year. Quarterback hits twelve in total, seven of those last year. And then you look at the P overall PFF scores, just two of those to, to note 52.1 and 58 had some, you know, it did show a little bit of growth in my opinion last year. I mean, not exponential growth, but did kind of show some things that he belonged on the field a little bit more frequently than he did as a rookie. Uh, we'll look at a couple of plays, a couple of nice plays from him, both against the, the pass and the run here in just a second. But his big, I mean, as a guy that I think a lot of people are like, yeah, he's, he's a decent player. He's a, you know, he's a nice guy to have around. He's in it. This is a run game. And by the way, the Bears, there's another one coming up here that uh, I think we'll cringe at in just a second. Again, here's Montgomery. He kind of crashes in off the edge. Montgomery gets about three or four yards. So he gets positive momentum, but nothing crazy here. And then, of course, the gate, the, the play that broke everybody's hearts here. But I, I show <laughs> this because it really look at the pursuit. Uh, let's go back to that real quick. Um, and I don't want to rehash that. But if you look, he's on the backside of this play. He's up here. Um, and so he comes around and chases him and, you know, Fields is not a slow guy. And then here, here you've got him against Mahomes here. This was tallied as a sack, even though it's kind of a no game, maybe a slight loss there that created a fourth and one in the AFC championship game. This was early. Um, you see him coming through and, and, uh, getting the ball out sort of from Joe Flacco there. And then this is one play later. It's actually a Hendrickson sack, but you see him kind of be right there around the ball. He's struggling to get in there a little bit off the bottom part of the edge, but then he's right there kind of Johnny on the spot with a play there. Here he is against the run, I believe. Um, Oh no, this is a sack against Ben Roethlisberger. He kind of knifes through two tight ends to get in there. Uh, that was weekend uh, week one too. So, I mean, a couple of nice plays here. I just, you know, when you're talking about explosion, you're talking about athleticism and big play potential. I just, I, I worry about him getting lost in the shuffle a little bit when you've got it now a Murphy, an Osai in year three that showed some nice things towards the end of last year. I, I think he's a good guy to have because you can move him around as you saw on the defensive line a little bit. So that's valuable. But I mean, you've, again, you've got Gunter, you've got Murphy, you've got, I mean, you've got all these guys now and it was kind of a little bit of the, what happened to Khalid Kareem a couple of years ago, right? It just kind of like, well, we just restocked and we used higher picks, higher end athletes, even though we like your versatility and your leadership. Um, I, I, you know, where's, what's the role this year, you know? Yeah. And I like how you brought up Kareem because it, a similar fate could be had for Cam Sample. Like there's not, there was nothing wrong with Khalid Kareem, it's just the Bengals definitely have a type at edge and then just have a lot of the same guys. Like I think Cam Sample is essentially like he was drafted in the fourth round for a reason. He's the fourth round version to me of Miles Murphy, a guy who like his main attributes athletically are speed 
an explosion. There's not a lot of flexibility in his game. So he can't kind of bend the arc and get under guys' pads like that. So he wins with power and he wins with explosion. He just doesn't have as much power or explosion as a Miles Murphy or even as like a Joseph Asai. I think it was notable last year that when Sam Hubbard and Trandrickson were dealing with injuries, it wasn't uh, either Asai or Sample kind of running away with the snaps. It was kind of an equal split between both of them. And I think that was noticeable when Hubbard went down first, I think against the uh, the, Tampa, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Like they trust Cam Sample to kind of set the edge in run defense because that's pretty much what he does the best it's it's a lot of guys and we talked about zach carter last week the biggest thing that zach carter can do is figure out a pass rushing plan that's also the biggest thing that cam sample can do because again dimensions wise he fits what luna rumo marion hobby what they look for a defensive lineman specifically edge rushers to a t he's about six four and a half 270 pounds pretty decent length but he wins with power and he can mush rush guys like lamar jackson he can close in on the pocket but he doesn't really make that much of an impact in the first couple seconds as a pass rusher which is ultimately what you know make it can make the difference late in the game against a guy like patrick mahomes and that's why there's probably more value with joseph aside because he showed flashes of developing a plan as a pass rusher and he has that more higher end athleticism so Cam Sample definitely fits into the, into the depth chart because he has the skill set that the Bengals value at, the, at that position. But he's like the perfect guy for this type of either boom or bust because if he doesn't show much more than what he has been in the past three years, again, it's, there's nothing wrong with that, but you can definitely look to improve because if he doesn't take that step, he just kind of gets lost in the crowd. It's, yes. <laughs> yeah, he gets lost in the crowd. And I'm glad you brought up the Lamar Jackson element with with cam sample because you saw the the sack against patrick mahomes and everything and so he that he, that is a guy who you know i don't know what kind of value it is and this is not really a uh, analytical type of phrasing that i'm going to use but he's a guy that against quarterbacks that like to utilize a lot of play call, play clock time uh, running around and doing stuff and doing all you know extending the play he's a guy that is valuable because he kind of keeps working and he'll muscle his way. You saw it, you saw it against, uh, you know, against the Steelers there against Ben, you saw it, um, you know, against a couple of others, Mahomes, like I mentioned, I mean, he, there's not, I don't really know what you would call that analytically, but I mean, there is a value to a guy like that that kind of just kind of keeps working through and can give you productive snaps against those types of quarterbacks who extend plays and kind of, you know, run out of their blocking as we were talking about with Orlando Brown Jr. earlier this in the show. It's 100% like when when Lamar Jackson popped off against the Bengals in like 2019, it was like Lou and Zach's first year. It was it was such a wake up call, I think, for them. Like, it's not necessarily about winning early as a pass rusher against these guys. It's just it's contained more than anything. And it's also in chasing down those extended plays when they arrive so that's really that's really just been their blueprint of building defensive lines against the lamar jacksons and other quarterbacks kind of like him it's just making sure that you have presence on the outside and you can disengage blocks at any any point in time and it's not just about trying to get them out of the pocket in fact the more that you keep them in the pocket the more the better chance that your defense has at succeeding and can sample again he he kind of fits that to a T. I think that's one of the reasons why they identified him. And also, like, no loafs, right? He, he doesn't loaf around you. He's always chasing the ball like we saw against the Bears, his yep. second ever game in the NFL. So he just fits basically everything that they look for. But again, that position is so crowded now. You you signed Terrell Basham. You're going to give Miles Murphy a, a few hundred snaps this year to give Trey Hendrickson, Sam Hubbard a break. 
it's a matter of where does he fall in the pecking order. He's probably defensive end five right now. If you want to put Miles Murphy and Joseph Asai ahead of them, just because they just have more upside. So is he going to compete with Terrell Basham if they're only going to keep five defensive ends, or are they going to go heavy and keep six and keep Basham, or maybe like a Jeff Gunter if he has a great preseason, maybe they they won't have a choice and they have to keep him. Maybe you cut Cam Sample. It doesn't. We don't really know at this point, but it's again another cliche. It's a good problem to have when you have a lot of guys who can make the team and you don't really know how it's going to go down. Yep, crowded room, and the Bengals are emphasizing getting pressure on opposing quarterbacks. That is for sure. And uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't like you know saying, "Hey, somebody's job is in jeopardy." I don't like to kind of go down that road. But I mean, the the fact of the matter is that's becoming a crowded, crowded defensive line room, and especially when you add in a you know a, a first round pick. I mean, that's that's going to people are going to take notice about stuff. So um, those are two guys that need to have two pretty good off seasons, training camps. And hopefully, you know, as, as the regular season progresses, they make uh, their mark in a lot of different ways that they need to, to help the team continue to be deeper and um, you know, hopefully get that Lombardi trophy that they are seeking. We're going to start closing up here and I've kind of started to do these little things. John and I have done these things that are a little bit historical perspective where it's like, Hey, remember these players remember this guy. I think last week we did Rodney Holman, even though all the audio was wacky. Um, (laughs) We uh, last week we did Rodney Holman and just kind of, you know, reminiscing on him. I I started thinking about, you know, and and we've been privileged to have, you know, some of these guys that we'll we'll talk about on our show and and other other great Bengals podcasts out there. Um, You know, obviously, when we had uh, Chad Johnson on, we we asked him about, you know, what are the Bengals, you know, best trios. And I think the ones we we kind of said that we narrowed it down to were, you know, AJ Marvin Jones, Mohamed Sanu, he, Chris Henry and TJ Hushmanzada or, you know, um, you know, what was it? Uh, AJ Green, what I say, AJ Green, Marvin Jones, Mohammed Sanu, and uh, the current one, Chase Higgins and Boyd. So he went with the current group, did Chad. And, um, you know, I think when we talked to Mohammed Sanu at the draft, uh, the, around draft time, he also went with that group because he got him to the Super Bowl, right? Um, and so you just kind of think, and of course, really where, where most people's heads go are the current group. And of course, that mid 2000s with Chad, Chris, Henry, and TJ Hushmanzada. But there were two groups from the 1970s and the 1980s, John, that really kind of started this whole trend of the Bengals kind of having these lethal, lethal trios of wide receivers. And you know, I say what you want about Mike Brown. Say what you want about how the how the team was run for a long time. The Bengals have always been kind of on the forefront, despite a couple of misses with. Uh, Klingler and, and Achilles Smith at the quarterback front, they've kind of been at the forefront of passing. I mean, Paul Brown was an innovator of, of, you know, forward passing in football, all of that. They've kind of been at the forefront of all of that and having uh, highly talented t- either tight ends or wide receivers and players at both of those position groups that kind of revolutionized these, these positions. So when you look at the 1970s, I've got a, a little, a little video clip I'll, I'll roll on here. Um, and there is one little, blurb in here so i don't want to talk over it but when you look at the the Bengals in their history of what what they've done uh at the wide receiver position and who you know who they brought in a lot of people forget that this guy a hall of fame player charlie joiner was with the Bengals in the 1970s who was you know he actually hit his stride more so with the chargers um he kind of fell by the wayside a little bit as as a lead guy with the Bengals. Um, with with the emergence of the next guy, we'll talk about Isaac Curtis, but he went on to the Chargers and with Dan Fouts carved out a, a really 
long and productive career and a Hall of Fame career for Charlie Joyner, but he was one of three as well with the Bengals that did, you know, uh, immense things on offense with Ken Anderson at the helm. He was a guy, and of course, the original 85, Isaac Curtis, and I'm going to let someone that we talked to about him talk about him, but he was a guy that revolutionized the wide receiver position. Isaac Curtis, my gosh, you know, you look at the impact that he had on the National Football League in 1973 when he came in, I always said he was Jerry Rice before Jerry Rice. You know, he came in and, and everybody in the league feared what he could do. Um, the classiest guy, I, you know, I've ever met. And uh, so I would like to, to, to see Isaac get a lot more attention than he gets as well. That was Ken Anderson. We talked to him a couple of years ago talking about who some of the other Bengals deserve to get uh, attention nationally. And a lot of people forget about this guy, Chip Myers, as well, and a, a third guy here. Um, had a couple of nice seasons with the Bengals as kind of the you know the the reserve guy to those guys, especially Isaac Curtis. So the Bengals had a, a trio of wide receivers, and oh by the way, Trumpy was in the you know in the mix there as well, making Pro Bowls. And then you trans transition to the '80s, and Isaac Curtis was kind of that bridge player. Um, so you know, there's a couple of kind of trios you could talk about with the Bengals, and you know, it was Curtis and Collinsworth when he was a young player. Uh, you know, and, and a lot of other players that they that they utilize there. But this, as the mid '80s rolled on, it was Collinsworth, and, and again that bridge quarterback too, Ken Anderson to Boomer Esiason. And there was Collinsworth, and then there were two guys that were really, really uh, unheralded. And when we talk about the Bengals, they don't get talked about a lot. And that's Eddie Brown, and of course Tim, the 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 great Tim McGee, who has joined us a couple of times on the program, and we love talking with him, but. Uh, I mean, these, Eddie Brown, you know, had a couple of thousand yard seasons, I believe, uh, was was kind of their main guy. Uh, Tim McGee had a thousand yard season with the Bengals as well. And then, of course, Collinsworth had a couple of, of them. And between those guys, those three, you know, you had a handful of Pro Bowls between them. And of course, the 1988 Super Bowl appearance with this explosive offense, you had Sam Weish doing all kinds of different things with these guys, utilizing play action, utilizing the no huddle. And these guys were just kind of revolutionary and and a nightmare to deal with um you know he had a lot of speed mcgee not as big uh, in terms of height as eddie brown or or chris collinsworth but you had two kind of big guy bigger guys that could go deep or you know move the sticks and collinsworth and eddie brown and then of course you had mcgee doing a little bit of everything as well so you know i i know and for good reason a lot of times we talk about the Bengals having you know great trio the, the the current trio the one that preceded him uh, with A.J. Green at the helm of that one and the one that preceded that one with Chad at the helm. But this has kind of been a theme for the Bengals for a really long time, and they've had really good wide receivers and have been have put up some of the most potent numbers on offense with, with these groups as the years have gone on. And I think uh, Isaac Curtis's induction into the Ring of Honor was kind of like, was kind of like a, a signifying gesture of, he was the guy who kind of started it all. Like it's a remarkable legacy at the position. And like Ken Anderson said, he was putting up numbers at the time that was extremely impressive. And he kind of set the standard and just kind of been a position of strength ever since, like regardless of the Bengals have been good or bad, they've always valued the wide, valued the wide receiver position. It was a trade with Paul Brown. It continues to be a trade with Mike Brown and, and his kids. And th- this next generation, um, I don't know if this was like, a thing in the eighties, but my dad had a very, very unique and original nickname for Eddie Brown. You ready? It was touchdown Eddie Brown. You know, he oh, worked really okay. I've worked, heard downtown. Really hard. I've heard downtown yeah. and tell, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, he really dug into his bag for that one. But I mean, 
damn, like in just four, I think five seasons in the late 80s, he posted 4,600 yards, which I mean, it's pretty damn good for for that era with Boomer Esiason and 30 touchdowns in that in that uh, time period as well. So like him, Collinsworth and then Isaac Curtis, who was a part of that 81 Super Bowl team. There's never hasn't really been a period of time where the Bengals have had bad wide receiver play. Maybe the early 90s would be the case. But then in the mid late 90s, we can't forget Darnay Scott and Carl Pickens, yeah. who, yeah, yeah, with Jeff Blake again, like fun times. Like I, there's a good there's a good case that the Jeff Blake offense with Pickens and Scott convinced Hamilton County to keep the Bengals in Cincinnati just because it was an exciting product right. despite tumultuous times. So it's always been something that, that you can count on with the Bengals for sure. Do not definitely do not forget about uh, Pickens and Scott for sure. It's really who's, who's the third there. I've looked back at it and I remember a, a nice season or two out of David Dunn. If you remember that, uh, that name, he was, he teamed up with them. And then of course you had kind of Jeff query in the mix there. I mean, so there just wasn't really the solid three, um, you had the solid two um, in that group. You never really had the solid three that we're referencing. And, of course, we're looking back at the 70s and 80s. We're not talking about the 90s. But I do understand, yes, Smiley's World uh, getting at us on YouTube, making sure we give the proper proper notoriety to Pickens and Scott. Yes, they were great in their own right as well. But I wanted to go down that road for a little bit of a history um, lesson. I'm going to, if you don't mind, just so I can stop talking, John, I'm going to go first on our drop the mic. And I am going to just remind folks uh, that we are still collecting money. We've only had a small handful of donations, but some of them have been pretty sizable. We, we don't have a huge, huge goal, but if we can surpass it, if we can get there, that would be awesome. I'm going to put the URL to this um, in the live chat to both the YouTube channel and the Facebook channel. We just want to say, you know, thank you and welcome to uh, Cincinnati, to Orlando Brown Jr. Thank you for coming on the show and welcome to the Bengals. Um, this is obviously something that is very, very, um, very passionate, near and dear to him. You can go back and listen to the interview as to why, but please, please, please think about donating. And if you don't go directly to the GoFundMe that we've created, uh, YouTube super chats will go there and we appreciate that. So that is my mic drop, John Sheeran. I mean, I can't think of a free agent in recent memory who's in, in, ingrained himself with the fan base Man. anymore. He's already a big Reds fan. He's already a big Great American Ballpark fan, which is saying something, calling it the best ballpark in America, despite him coming from a really good ballpark in Kansas City. But shout out to Orlando Brown for becoming a Cincinnatian so soon. My mic drop simple. Uh, happy 4th of July weekend. And just remember Jason Pierre-Paul. Be, be safe out there. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. How many years ago was that? Like five? Oh, much longer, I think. <laughs> it's longer than yeah. we think. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. That wasn't, that was not a good. Is, is he still, uh, is he still playing? I, I think, think I remember him playing last year. I got to look that I up. I think so. Um, yeah. I feel like he was playing with someone really, really recently. Um, he is a free agent, but he's 34. Uh, let me see if I can see when he last played. Yeah, it was last year with the Ravens. I thought I thought so. I thought that was the case. So, um, yeah, Jason Pierre-Paul, yeah, may, let that be a, a warning to you for sure this July 4th. Have fun. Be safe. Um, and, uh, you know, have a good time. Get some sunshine. That's what July 4th is about as well as celebrating – the USA, but uh, John, you have yourself a great holiday, my friend. We went a little longer today, but we got to a lot of stuff. Appreciate you coming on, sticking around, and giving your awesome insight as usual on the Orange and Black Insider, my friend. 
Talk to you guys soon. Talk to you soon. Take care. Happy 4th of July. We'll see you soon.